0: We are uh, in Matthew chapter 26. We left off, we ended at verse 58 last time. So if you have your Bibles there or your app, Matthew 26, 59 is where we're going to begin. And um, they've now arrested Jesus. Peter's following at a distance. They bring him to the home of Caiaphas. Caiaphas is the high priest at this time. Annas, his father-in-law, was the high priest but now it's handed down to the son-in-law and they have a real racket going on the Temple Mount with Jesus has overturned the tables of the money changers because of the corruption within the religious community which is the governing community in Israel at that time for the Jews themselves Um, and so uh, in actuality also this is not the first trial if you put all the Gospels together this is the second trial going through the night so, <clears throat> we pick up the story now. Jesus arrested, Peter following at a distance, and uh, verse 59 says, Now the chief priests and the whole council kept trying to obtain false testimony against Jesus so that they might put him to death. Uh, there's, that's a loaded verse, guys. And, and you really got to pick a few things out of this to really set the stage for for what is actually happening here. I want you to notice first that um, they've come together for one purpose and one purpose only. To put him to death. Now, what does that mean? Well, it at least means they've already prejudged him and determined that he is guilty and that he deserves to die. They don't really care about any facts. They just want to put Him to death. Do you know why they want to put Him to death? Multiple reasons, but I'll give you a big one. Because Jesus has come along and He's reshaping society back to a moral society. They don't like that because they're very corrupt people. And so they want to oust Jesus because He's trying to set things straight the way God intended. And now they're going after Him. Now, what I find fascinating is this. In verse 59, it says, when they bring them there, and by the way, it's at least three o'clock in the morning by now or nearing that time. It says, the whole council, they are all there. Now, wait a minute, correct me if I'm wrong, but... Do you ever show up somewhere at 3 o'clock in the morning and all your cronies are there and all the people you're with, they just happen to be all together? No. This is not a coincidence. This is not like, oh, I didn't know you were going to be here. No, this is prearranged. This is a setup. And they're all waiting there that early in the morning so they can basically judge, jury, and carry out hopefully later on an execution of jesus did you know that the accused was allowed an attorney jesus is not allowed an attorney did you know in that day their law said that they could not try a person at night it's night time huh and they're trying him at night so you see more and more how the setup goes look in verse 59 it says, they kept trying to obtain false testimony against him. Hmm. <clears throat> I find that fascinating because what they're saying is uh, we need to find some liars around here. We needed some people that just declare hearsay and say, well, I heard so-and-so who heard so-and-so who heard their cousin who heard somebody said this, and they said that about this. They're just trying to find anybody they can to get Jesus uh, convicted. And, and, and that's what they're going about in this whole process here. <clears throat> what I find fascinating is this. They are declaring Jesus guilty. He's not. But they are declaring that. And they are the guilty ones. They are the corrupt ones. Because they have corrupted the temple. They have corrupted morality and now they're falsely accusing Jesus. Isn't that crazy? Wow, sounds like today. Um, Now, verse 60. Some things don't change. They did not find any, even though many false witnesses came forward. They couldn't find anyone. They couldn't find anybody that lies that good enough. But later on, two came forward. Hmm. So they do find a couple people that will go up and testify. Ah. And remember, they're looking for false witnesses because there's nobody that's going to go up there and share the truth because they don't want to hear the truth. They're looking for false witnesses, so they find a couple guys, hey, we'll go testify. Now, no one could be found guilty in that day without reputable witnesses. These these, the council knows these aren't reputable witnesses, but oh boy, it sounds compelling, their testimony. We've heard that before. Um, so they bring these two people forth. Now watch what these two false witnesses, what they say versus what is real in verse 61. Here's what they say. This man stated, pointing at Jesus, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. That's what they said. Jesus himself said, we heard him say, he said, I'm I'm able to destroy the temple of God and in three days, and to rebuild it in three days. Is that what Jesus said? Not even close. There are some words that he used in John chapter 2, but they've taken Jesus' words because Jesus didn't say, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild in three days. He didn't say that. He said, destroy this temple. And in three days, I will rebuild it. And he was speaking of the temple of his own body, death, resurrection. They're not even close. They've taken his words, picked out a few words, twisted it, put it together, and then display it as, that's what he said. That's not what he said. And what just happened in that verse right there? Happens every day in America, all over the media. And you know it's true, if you follow the right things. It's true, they just twist everything. Now, verse uh, 62. The high priest stood up and said to him, Do you not answer? Now, Jesus is not saying a word. And so he said, You don't answer? Well, then he has to pry a little more. And notice he's trying to get Jesus to speak. Now watch carefully what's going on in verse 62. He asks Jesus, do you not answer? And then he says, then he asks, what is it that these these men, the one who said I'm able, that Jesus said I'm able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild in three days. What is it that these men are testifying against you? In other words, we don't really know what they're saying, but could you tell us what they're saying? They're trying to prod Jesus into to get him to speak and to get him to say something at this moment in time. But if you're going to, but you notice that in verse 63, the first line it says, but Jesus kept silent. I like that. You know why? I've used that many times in my personal life. As a person who stands in front of people publicly, uh, you get a lot of pot shots taken at you. You don't know that out there, but it does happen. I've had plenty of people over the years come up and challenge me and say, you said this, this, and this, and I'm thinking, I never even said that. But people have filters, and they look at things the way they want to look at. But I have also noticed when I'm falsely accused many times, I won't even bother. What am I going to bother with that for? Who else? Who knows how many other people they, they falsely accused? I, I won't even bother because don't ever, ever debate with a liar. That's just a waste of time. They're going to twist and they're going to change things and they're going to rearrange things and they want you, they're going to try to get, they get wound up and you better not get wound up. You stay calm. Just walk away. You don't even need to call him a liar. Just say, I'm done. I'm done. And walk away. Jesus kept silent. Where does it say that you have to give a rebuttal or a response to someone who's falsely accusing you and going after you? Where does it say that at? Jesus kept quiet. But then the high priest pressures. Here it comes. He's putting the thumb down now. And the high priest said to him in verse 63, I adjure you by the living God That you tell us, the whole council, whether, here it comes, whether you are the Christ, the Son of God. Whoa. Boy, did he ask the question. He says, I wanna know, by the living God, are you the Christ? Meaning, are you the anointed one? Are you the Messiah? Are you, as you've claimed to be, are you the Son of God? (laughs) Loaded words. Can you imagine um, how tense it was in that moment? Can you imagine the whole council leaning in now? What will Jesus say? If anything, but if he does speak, what's he going to say? Because this is where they've wanted to get to. This is the question they need Jesus to answer so they can proceed on To try to have him executed. Verse 64 Jesus said to him, You have said it yourself. In other words, you said it. And then Jesus adds, Nevertheless, I tell you, hereafter you will see. The Son of Man, he, Jesus called himself the Son of Man. You will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Whoa! He just said a mouthful. You and I read that like, okay, no. You got to really put in perspective what he just told these teachers of the law, these Old Testament experts, what he's really saying. Let me show you what he's saying a couple of verses so get ready to cross-reference because this gets fascinating. Now, the first thing is turn back to Daniel chapter 7. We have visited there before multiple occasions whenever the Son of Man statement arises. Now watch Daniel chapter 7. Jesus called himself the Son of Man, and He says, you're going to be watching me, I'm sitting at the right hand of power, and I'm coming on the clouds of heaven, clouds of heaven. Now Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 says this, I kept looking in the night visions, and behold with the clouds of heaven. Oh, that's interesting, isn't it? One like a son of of man. Oh, the same thing Jesus said over there. These scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees, they know these verses, they know exactly what Jesus is quoting. One like the Son of Man was coming, and He came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before Him, and to Him was given dominion, glory, and the kingdom, that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. And His kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. That's what Jesus is telling them when He said He's the Son of Man. That, that's going to just, they're going to get ripped out of the frame on that one. Now, what you need to understand is Jesus now, as He says these things, or I should say Daniel, when Jesus quotes back to it saying, I am that Son of Man that Daniel talked about. Daniel is speaking prophetically into the future. Daniel is writing 600 years before Jesus will use the statement. Now, in Daniel chapter 7, if you backed up to verse 8, you see someone called the little horn. That's the Antichrist. Daniel is painting the whole picture. Jesus is adding to it, or he's putting himself in the picture. He's saying at the end of the great seven-year tribulation, Daniel's saying, when the Antichrist is on the scene, the Son of Man will come, and he's going to set things straight at the end of that. But how will he do it? On the clouds. He's going to come on the clouds, guys. It's the second coming of Christ that Jesus is now inferring to. Look to Matthew. Look at Matthew um, chapter 24. I think it's Matthew 24 and verse. uh, Yeah, Matthew 24. And verse 30, check this out. I get pumped up about this stuff. Look look right here. It says in verse 30, Jesus speaking <clears throat> in its end times, He says, And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. Remember that they will mourn. They're going to see Him in the clouds. When He comes back, they're going to mourn. Remember that statement. I'm going to cross-reference it in a second. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory that's the second coming now remember that statement there now turn to Revelation chapter 1 and check this out in Revelation chapter 1 we see John the revelator who's got the revelation from the Holy Spirit watch what he says describing Jesus in the second coming John Revelation 1 <clears throat> and um, verse verse 7 it says behold he is coming with the clouds there it is again and every eye will see him there it is again they'll see him on the clouds watch even those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him we saw the word mourn in Matthew 24:30. So it is to, the, to be, amen. Though In the second coming, those who pierced him will see him. Well, who, who did it? You could say the Romans, but the Jews, they pushed the whole thing. They were the driving force behind it. And so now when Jesus speaks in Matthew 26, 64, you're going to see the Son of Man coming in the clouds. He is now speaking prophetically too. He says, one day this nation will see me come back and they will look on Him whom they have pierced. They will see the scars. They will see these things when He comes in the second coming. Because Jesus will be in His incorruptible body, but He'll still bear the scars that He took on His body and the suffering for your salvation and mine. Don't ever doubt that God loves you. And the proof in the pudding will be when you see Him. The scars will be there of the torment and the torture and the pain that He took when He carried our sins. But they will see it now. Back to Matthew 26. When the Pharisees hear these things, the high priest are like the high priest hears it, he's just going nuts. Because how dare Jesus proclaim that he is the Messiah. He's proclaiming he's God in the flesh. That's what he's saying, my friends. And the high priest goes, bananas, man. Oh my gosh. Verse 65. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has blasphemed! Exclamation point. Well, that's what they wanted to hear. They wanted Jesus to admit what he admitted. And then he says, What further need do we have of witnesses? In other words, we don't even need the liars anymore. Look, behold, you have heard, you have and now heard the blasphemy. You've heard it yourself. Now you say, what's blasphemy? blasphemy is interesting. It means to speak evil of God. It means to insult the honor of God. In other words, by Jesus' statement, when he says, you'll see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power coming in the clouds, he said, you have insulted God with that statement, which means they don't believe for a second that Jesus is God in the flesh. He hasn't insulted God. He's spoken. He's the only one at that trial that just spoke the truth. Everyone else is lying. He tells the truth and they're going to kill him for it. They're going to kill him for it. He shared who he is. Now, on a side note, you need to know that there will be six trials at night. This is the second one. The first three are religious trials. They get them on blasphemy. The last three, Pilate, Herod, Pilate, are civil trials. They're going to get him as someone who's antagonistic towards the Roman government. So he will go through these six trials, but now they've got him on what they think is blasphemy when in fact he's just told the truth. Verse 66. Then he adds, the high priest adds, oh, what do you think? He's talking to his cronies. They answered, he deserves death. The thing was rigged. It's all the people on one side of the aisle. We got it. We're gonna, we already, this is what we're waiting for. Yeah, he deserves death. Now, go back to verse 59 at the very end of it. What did they come there for? The prearranged idea and agenda is, at the end of verse 59, to put him to death. There was no chance Jesus was coming out of there innocent. No chance. It was prearranged. They lined up the false witnesses. They broke the law every step away, the rule of law, and here it is. He deserves death. I'm getting wound up about this one. Let me give you a side note that we'll talk about when we get to the trial with Pilate. Now they have a problem because they have now gave their verdict, He deserves death. The Jews cannot carry out capital punishment. They do not have the authority to do that. It was taken away from them by the Romans. So now they're in a quandary. Now you understand why they've got to go to Pilate later on in, one of the, in trial four and trial six. Because now they're stuck. Huh. You've got to go to a higher court. Verse 67. Now watch what they do to him. Because they're such holy men. Such honorable men. These leaders of the community, then they spat in his face and beat him with their fists, and others slapped him. Here's my thoughts on that. That's the leaders of your community. acting like little junior high bullies. Here's my, my thought. Can you imagine that when these people stand on the day of judgment and here comes Jesus, that he was who he said he was, And they look at him and they recognize, this is the man I spit on. This is the one I I slapped and I beat. I can't imagine what they're going to think in that moment. I can't imagine what's going through their mind in that moment. Oh, my gosh. He is who he said he was. He is who he said he was. And that day coming. It's coming. Verse 68. Interesting verse now. As they're beating him and slapping him. Here's what they tell him. Prophesy to us, you Christ, who is the one who hit you? Well, we know it. One of the trials describes they put a cloth over his head and they're slapping and beating him. And they say, prophesy who hit you. In other words, tell us since you're a prophet and you have a cover over, tell us who's hitting you. Tell us which one of us slapped you and beat you. That's interesting. He will not prophesy in that listen. He will listen. He will not prophesy in that moment, as they say it. But in the courtyard, right outside the building, one of his prophecies is coming to pass. Before the cock crows, you will deny me oh my gosh, oh my gosh. They're saying prophesy with you, won't prophesy to them, but his prophecy with Peter is coming to pass in the courtyard. Have you ever thought that? It's amazing. Verse 69. Now Peter, remember following at a distance, terrible place to follow Jesus from, but Christians like doing Now, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him and said, you too were with Jesus, the Galilean. She recognized him. You were with Jesus, that you're all Galileans. Now, before you read it with one slant of eyes, a certain filter, and think she's accusing, let me give you a different idea. What if she was a seeker who just wanted to know more about Jesus. What if she was just curious and inquiring? You ever thought about that? Mm, That's a thought. Verse 70. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you are talking about. Oh, my gosh. He denies knowing Jesus at all. Mm. Why? Fear. You know, in um in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 14 and 15, verse 15 says, always be ready, but sanctify the Lord Jesus in your hearts, and always be ready to make a defense for what you believe, basically. But in verse 14, it says, Do not fear. Ah, uh, you see, the reason why, and let me put it you, the reason why many of us are afraid to make a defense is because we don't know what we believe. And by the way, you don't have to know it all. Just share your testimony. Who could argue with a testimony? But notice in verse 14 of 1 Peter 3, he says, do not fear. See, fear, we all fear at times about sharing our faith. You know, there's one or two of us in a thousand that never have any fear in sharing faith, but most of us will run into fear at times. And I think it's a spiritual battle in that moment. Don't fear. Peter is falling prey to fear. Verse 71. When he had gone out to the gateway, another servant girl saw him and said to those who were there, so everybody there, and she points and says, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. You know what this is like? They found out at work that you're a Christian. (laughs) And you didn't want them to know. This person's a Christian here. This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. Oh, and again he denied it with an oath. Now he's making an oath. Oh, I swear by God that I don't know him at all. I do not know the man. Now he's getting in deep. He's taking himself a deep trench. Verse 73, a little later, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, some more people come. Uh, Surely you too are one of them. Watch this. For even the way you talk gives you a way. Ah. In John chapter 18, verse 26, we know that in the bystanders is a relative of a man named Malchus. Malchus is the man that Peter cut the ear off and Jesus picked up the ear and pasted it back on and healed him in a moment. What if in this moment they want to know, were you there when that happened and Jesus healed my relative? What if they wanted to know that? But, But notice the statement they make. The way you talk gives you away. In other words, he's got the Galilean type uh, dialogue, not the Judean type. He's from the north and they in the south. I got a great question. Does the way you talk give you away? Does the way you speak give you away that you're a Christian, that you're a follower of Christ? That you don't share in the dirty jokes and tell them? That you're not dropping F bombs everywhere, at work or wherever. Does the way you speak give you away? One way or the other? I'm not here to make you feel bad. Well, maybe I am, but think about it. Verse 74 Then he began to curse and swear. Man, not like cussing, he's just uttering oaths against No, I swear by God. I do not know the man, and immediately a rooster crowed. Uh oh. Before the cock crows twice, we know from one of the Gospels it was twice. And remember, I told you before that this is could be a rooster crowing twice, could be, which is weird because roosters weren't allowed, hands weren't allowed in the city during Passover because if you stepped on the droppings, you were unclean and you couldn't be unclean during Passover. But there's another side of it. And it works perfect with the timing of the trial at 3 o'clock in the morning, the second trial, the Galicinium. So at the Fortress of Antonio on the Temple Mount, the Galicinium, the cock crows, they would change guards at 3 a.m. And the guard would come up and he'd blow the trumpet one way toward the city. And during Passover, there's so many people, they blow it one way this way, they turn and blow it that way. It's called the cock crow. You blow it one way, then the other way because of the amount of people during Passover. The cock crow twice, the Galicinium. Can you imagine Peter when that happened? He's (gasps) like, and he remembers the words of Jesus. Verse 75. And Peter remembered the word which Jesus had said before a rooster crows. You'll deny me three times. And he went out and he wept. I'm going to start next week on this verse because I got plenty to say on it, but I'm going to leave you with one thought on this verse. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, God describes one of the uses of the desert wandering of the Jews. It was to see what's in their hearts. Would they follow Him? Would they walk in humility? See, sometimes you go through deserts and go through pain so you and I can see what's in our own heart. I guarantee you, just from Peter's statements, he did not know his own heart. Because earlier he said, even if I have to die with you, I'll never deny you. He didn't even know himself. He didn't realize the sin he was capable of. And now his own heart is revealed to him. I don't think that's a bad thing. I think it's good to be awakened to our sinful capabilities, so that we can go down not that sinful road, but this road instead. Peter now realizes something about himself, and it breaks him, and it will break us, and it humbles him, and it will humble us when we see what's in our hearts.